Welcome on in. Enswell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at protonmail.com. Of course, you're welcome on in for this maiden voyage, first episode of 2021. Let's do this. In a week where we say goodbye to the man who penned the greatest sports anthem, Jerry Marsden, where a flat-footed Ryan Garcia dazzles his way to a sensational knockout win against the unfortunate Luke Campbell. And we welcome a young man who got the pulses racing, got a lot of media people excited over the last few weeks when he announced he was signing pro with Mark Dunlop. Conor Quinn talks about his amateur career, talks about emigrating to Australia, fighting in Thailand, moving back here as a man on a mission. You would hear a lot of times where there's no money in boxing or it's not a career or whatever. Where I, I was never told that. You know, I was always told that I'm going to be a world champion and give it everything. So I'm very, very grateful for that. We'll get to all that in a few minutes. Happy New Year to you. To you. To you. And it's good to see you back as well, over there. It's great. I'm delighted, delighted to be in your ears. It's a privilege and a pleasure as it always is. And it always has been. As we kick off this third year of our podcast adventure together together and that's going to be a theme it's going to be a theme I'm going to play something for you in a few minutes that I hope I hope it has the impact the desired impact that I'm intending but before I do I want to give a special mention a special shout out to a fellow who's um who's going through a bit of a ringer at the moment uh, he is he was a big big influence on my music and me playing music and learning to play the drums and everything else and I've mentioned him a few times here before he's battled He's battled like no other over the last few, over the last 12 months. And I don't just mean the same as me and you and everybody else. He's had his own personal health issues to deal with. He's beaten off that. And now he's come back with um, with another injury of, of the years gone by. I'm talking about my pal Aiden, who uh, I embarrassed the shit out of him one day. Uh, as much as you can do as a fella in the car on his own, sat in Belfast at traffic lights, I believe he took. So stay strong, Aiden. Keep fighting the fight. You're well able. You've you've um you've overcome a fair bit in the last while. You'll get this too. Lots of pontificating and uh, cliched quote unquote you me or new me and um, wishing peace and prayers and there's people praying now and God blessing me that that yeah that have never even that have never seen the inside of a church or used the word God before in their lives unless they were looking for something. So um, not just trying to keep. Get back to where I was before Christmas and to keep the blinkers on, keep focused, keep myself with a to-do list and keep adding on to the bottom of that to-do list if you can. I I, I want to stress here now that anything I say and advice and bits and pieces I give and tips, it's what works for me. And I would hope that somewhere along the line they might work for you. Uh, possibly take a little bit of what works for me, shape it and make it work for you. Add your own twist on it and pass it on. Because it's what's going to be needed over the next while. And and when, when I refuse to get down and scared and panicked and all that. I refuse. I refuse. Uh, I know we're 12 months almost in. Last February when all this was said upon us. Who would have thunk? Whoever would have thunk? 
But it is what it is. We've beaten two lockdowns. We've come through two lockdowns together. Okay? This is another one. We know what we're facing. We know what's coming. It's a month of getting the nose to the stone, keeping yourself going. So whatever we have to do. And when you think about it, one of the things Irish people are famed for, they're pride, pride themselves on, talked about the world over. It's not just their happiness, their joviality, their party attitude. It's, it's a cohesiveness. It's a grit. It's a pride. It's a willingness to dig in the heels and grind it out when they have to do it and to, to fight out and battle. And now those traits are going to be needed more than ever. This is the time to do it. But we got to help each other. And by helping each other, whatever it takes. So I'm going to make a suggestion. A suggestion is to, over the next four weeks, every day or so, every couple of days, send a message to someone that you might have lost contact with. Well, I'm not saying build bridges or, or go on a peace process or anything. I'm saying people maybe that you just, for no particular reason, just life got in the way. And what happens in then invariably is you get the message and they get the message and then one message borrows another and then you start reliving memories. And you'll be surprised. You'd be surprised. Because not just Irish now, I'm talking about the world over. And I'm very conscious that we get lucky enough to get a lot of people listening. And we're picking up a lot of new ears lately. I'm going to play something for you here now when you'll hear the power of togetherness of the human race. Of what we can do when we work as one or when there's one voice. Almost. What is it? That is Luca Bloom. He's a Kildare artist. He's, of course, the younger brother of Christy Moore, but a phenomenal singer, songwriter, and performer in his own right. And that song I heard when I was in fifth year wasn't it there yesterday. One night, listened to it on the radio. Can't remember the show. It was, I think, it might have been Two FM. And it was, it had such an impact on me. Um, it. Luca Bloom at the time wouldn't have been in my lane. It wouldn't have been what I'd be listening to. But I became I became really, really moved by that piece of music. And that was recorded at a festival in Amsterdam. The song is called A Fertile Rock. He wrote it about the Burren, of course, in the west of Ireland. Anyone that's not familiar with Luca Bloom, he has the most incredible ability and way to paint a picture with words. In the way that a lot of the good boxing commentators do. A lot of the very best. His songs are just incredible. And and 
I don't know what put that into my head. It's probably a little bit out there. It's it's most certainly not the usual boxing content, but it's not your usual boxing podcast, is it? And I just thought that's an example of how moving we can be when we work together or when we cooperate, when we move almost as one, but at the same time keeping our individuality. Millions of little teeth on a, on a cog, all working and moving together to make the bigger wheel turn. That's what this is about. That's what this lockdown is. It's about every one of us doing our own little bit to keep the wheel turning. And we can do it. Because we've done it before. And we're going to do it again. So, get some ideas. Whatever it is, whatever it takes. Over the next few weeks. And let's do it together. Let's make fun of it. So let's. There's a page. I have a page here. A group that we very rarely use if we want to put that out. Please get in touch. And we'll do it. But it's vital over the next few weeks. Don't don't get stuck in the mud. Don't get stuck in that January quagmire where it tends to happen. Spring isn't a million miles away. These cold mornings disappear. My feet warm up. It's all good from there on in. Little piece that was commented on last night when I put it up. And it was probably been a bit bold. I had my tongue firmly planted in my cheek. Listened to the two Johnnies quite a lot over the Christmas. Uh, great laugh. Great fun. Fresh, vibrant, dynamic, new new Irish comedy. It's well worth a listen. Anyone that hasn't listened or can't be anybody left that hasn't heard them at this stage or seen them. But uh, Smacks uh, is tying with the idea. He needs a new hobby. He needs something new to do. And, and he actually put it out there. He's thinking of trying boxing. Trying boxing. But I'm sure if Smacks was to scratch that itch and he wanted to follow that urge, there's more than a few here would be able to Point him in the right direction. I'm sure we could hook him up with a gym. We could hook him up with a trainer. Somebody, somewhere, that could help him out. See how he is. You never know. You never know. He might be the next big thing. He's already breaking boundaries. Him and him and the, the bowl lad on their podcast and, and moving the needle there on that front. So who's to say he's beating the star Donaghy in a, in a showdown? You just don't know what's coming next. But it was a great bit of, it was a bit of fun. It was tongue-in-cheek. As I said, a little bit bowled. But Smax, if you're listening and you hear it, we've matched Dennis Hogan with Wayne McCullough. We'd be absolutely over the moon to match you up someone too. Get in touch. Not going to hang around today because I have a studio to get into. I have a little bit of work to finish. I have some trenches to dig to get some cable down. So looking back over the weekend, the first big one for 2021 was, of course... Luke Campbell taking on Ryan Garcia in a title eliminator fight that I genuinely thought, genuinely hoped and thought that Luke Campbell would have too much for for a a guy who has been hyped in terms... It's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom. And take nothing away from him the other night. The win was sensational. Credit where it's due. Let me get that out there first. And it's, it's not in any way, shape or form to be undermined. Full props. And I won't say he deserves all the hype he's got, but he's earned his place now at the top table, without a shadow. To get off the floor, he didn't know where he was. For the for the third, fourth round, I would say. Definitely the third round, hadn't a clue. Not a clue. And massive, massive shout-out and props as well to, to the Reynosos and Eddie in the corner because he really earned his corn. Really, really had to focus Garcia. Had to try and guide him through those couple of hazy rounds and... and if I'm being really honest, 
and I, and that's all I can be. I, I genuinely would have expected when Luke, when somebody of Luke Campbell's calibre and experience and, and ring noose and, and smart IQ, I thought when he had him where he needed him, perhaps that was the time to turn the screw. I would have expected it, if I'm being honest. And that's not a criticism, it's just an observation. I thought he could have and should have done a little bit more to take away that hook because let's face it, that's all that was going. The feet were flat, the head was stuck in the one spot and the hook was winging, 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 winging and eventually, eventually that little filly shuffle or little roll or whatever you want to call it and up and under and that was it. It was all she wrote. It was a, it was a, it was a, just a textbook. Pretty, pretty emphatic and you know what it is? It's kind of, it's probably exactly what somebody like Ryan Garcia wants. It's a 30 second clip in a world that he lives in, which is social media. They got what they wanted. Heartbroken for, for Luke Campbell. Genuinely heartbroken. Where does he go next? I'm not going to I'm not going to um, suggest or even even wonder on that or ponder that. that. That's for him to do. There's been an awful lot of... An awful lot of just bad luck and just bad timed matches and, and, and a lot of stuff didn't work out for him. Does he carry on? He's certainly entitled to, without a doubt. But... Does he want to? All we can do is now watch the um, watch the shit show that unfurls in America. Because let's be honest about it. Anyone need to watch that and listen to it on the zone? <sighs> My goodness me. To compare Ryan Garcia to Sugar Ray Leonard. To compare Ryan Garcia to Oscar De La Hoya. To compare him to anybody is tragic. Tragic. And it was, it's it's getting, we thought Sky Sports pundits were bad for, for uh, fanboying. Mudden, this, this is at another level. But he took the win. He's done what he's needed to do. There's now a big four in that division. How long Teofimo hangs around, who knows. It, this has all been said and done in other pods. All I can see right now is Devin Haney's got to get a win. He's got to get a signature win under his belt. He's got to fight somebody of significance. He's got to get a win that puts him up there with the rest of them. Who's that going to be with? Who knows? Garcia is never going to be the type of fighter I follow. He's not the type of fella I would be aligned with or be interested in supporting. Being honest about it, not really the type of fighter I like. Uh, That doesn't for a second blind me to his unbelievable talent and his skill, his strength, his speed. He's just not for me. But I know there's plenty out there who do and who will support and follow and jump on the hype train. And I want to give a special mention to Garrett Clinch who messaged me the other night uh, when I messaged, when I put up the, the result and it, something along the lines of it pained me to announce him as the winner. He wanted to know why. And uh, respect to you, my man. You're entitled to ask. You're entitled to your opinions. You're entitled to question. And we had a good little chat back and forth. Absolutely no qualms whatsoever. So good on you. And, and and thanks for getting in touch and, and I encourage that this is what I want to encourage from here on in and one of the big things I'm growing over the next while is the YouTube channel after that it's the social media channels gotta start expanding a little bit so your input is always valued your your opinions are always treasured and valued and, and worth and always happy to, to um, get into the discussions and, and the debates where possible so get in touch hit us up check out all the social media pages Twitter not so much active on there will be a little bit more but certainly YouTube over the next few weeks you're going to see a marked improvement and Instagram and Facebook is always pretty busy too so you know where we're at the links are below give us a shout and while you're down below here digging around in the notes check out my pal Ross Violent Gentleman 
he's not the violent gentleman. Although, I'm sure, I'm sure if he was pushed enough, Ross, what do you reckon? I'm sure there's no better fellow when he has to get into the trenches. But uh, all joking aside, violent gentleman, the brand, of course, we heard from Ross just before Christmas. He's got some huge plans. Things are moving. Things are moving. He's got new ranges coming out. He's got leisure ranges. He's got training rare. He's got the lot. Violent Gentleman is a boxing apparel brand that's going to just go through the roof this year. We're going hand in glove, if you want to use cliches, all the way. And he's going to have a competition on here over the next couple of weeks with me. We're going to give away a hoodie. We're going to give away a beanie. You don't know. We just don't know what else we might give away. So keep at it. Check the link down below. Head across there to the social media and, and hit him up and say hello and see what you can find. You just don't know. With a little bit of extra money in the pocket after the Christmas you might be able to find something nice for yourself. So that's Violent Gentleman. And a big thanks to Ross, of course, for, for being a part of the journey over the last while. There's a lot of people said and promised a lot. Ross didn't say a whole lot. He just did. And and for that, mate, big respect. The only real news, I suppose, to talk about is the announcement earlier in the week at the BBOC. All shows cancelled. Everything for January gone. Which, of course, throws away the Josh Kelly, David Alphanessian card. It throws away the MTK card where Sean McComb was due to fight for a title, as was Gary Cully. Sadly, they're going to have to be shelled for the time being. Uh, will there be a show going ahead to Boxing Ireland promotions? Who knows? Who knows? Watch and see. I'm sure there'll be plenty of information across their social media. But uh, it, it, it remains to be seen. The big ones for now are just on ice. And as I said, it's just a case of batting down the hatches. Get through January, see where we're at. And I listened to Eddie Hearn this morning. I've um, listened to him quite a lot over the last while. And, and he's he's very pragmatic. He's very sensible. He speaks sense. And he's all for, and he's fully behind the BBOC and Robert Smith and what they have to do. But he's also very much of the mind that he can't sit around and not do. He can't. So boxing will move on. Expect for me the big news next year, this year, I believe, while many are expecting to see AJ and Fury, I think we possibly might see it. Maybe see one of them before the end of the year, but no way for me am I, are we going to see that early in the year, I believe. You will see Fury Wilder 3 long before um, you see AJ and Wilder. So, that, or AJ Fury. That's just my thoughts on that one. Uh, who you will see over the next few weeks and months are a lot more of, of the, the McKenna brothers from County Monaghan. They're going to be on with me over the next few days. I've had some, some brilliant interviews over the last few. I've had Carly Skelly will be on. Of course, boxed Amy Timlin for the Commonwealth title in that drawn fight at Fight Camp. You're going to hear from my pal, our pal, the leader of the Irish chapter, the Famalam. Jazza Dickens was back on with me yesterday. Listen, you're going to get an insight to the golden contract final that it's hard to fathom. And I'm just trying to add a little rankle to that now as well. I'm going to have Luke Keeler on really soon. Going to have a couple more guys who tread the path many, many years ago. I don't want to drop any names right yet, right now because I'm, I'm trying to add a few little bits and pieces to it. But trust me when I tell you, it's going to, I've been busy, I've been planning, I've been writing. And it's going to just up through the gears now for the next few weeks because it's time to move on. It's time to move it up to the next level. And I'm going to do that with you, your support. So while I'm talking about it here now, I'll get the begging ball out a little bit. And I'm going to say, if you please click the link down below, I'll have it fairly well highlighted. I need you to get, if you can at all, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the little bell so you get the notifications. And if you really, 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 really want to be helping, head across to the iTunes there. Give us a little, uh, a little, a little rating and a little review. Really appreciate it. It's um it's going to be part of the growth, as I said, and it can't be done without you. So 
The other thing that we're looking at over the last few days is gossip. I suppose there's a lot of call-outs and a lot of smack-talk and slobbering, as they say. Um, we've seen Chantelle Cameron, who's uh, back to the usual, calling out Katie Taylor and uh, trying to insult and trying to... It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I think if the fight's going to happen, it'll happen organically. A... She genuinely feels after her signature win a few weeks ago, a few months back, uh, that she's ready. And that's fair enough. She's entitled to do that. But I wouldn't be expecting that to pay too many dividends. I think the big one for Katie now is to get Serrano to uh, finally stop slabbering and start fighting. That's what the that's what I believe is the big one for her. The talk as well. And I'm going to finish on this because it is just it's gossip. You could you could go on all the stories, but the big one that captured some people's imagination was the return, apparently, of boxing to the O2, otherwise known as the Point Depot. Um, Martin Horgan, as we know, was on here with me when he ran the show down in the Neptune Stadium in Cork, and what a, what a phenomenal show he did as well. He's a great fella, great great fella, great contacts in the Muay Thai world. Does a massive amount of work there with his fighters and keeping them busy, and he's got lofty ambitions, as he told me back down just before the show and the talk is of a a combined show between boxing and Muay Thai and it will they hope fill the point depot do I think it can genuinely no I don't I don't think it can happen right now I think for the point depot to return to fighting it will take either McGregor or it will take a Hogan spike fight it'll take something Kelly Taylor It'll take something of that magnitude. I I could be wrong. I would be more than happy to be wrong. But I genuinely, genuinely just don't see it. I don't see it for now. A lot of people got very excited about it. A lot of people were sharing it. A lot of people were talking about it. Just looking at how shows have gone in the past. How they've just talk, talk and, and, and stuff didn't happen. I I don't want to get into it because it can sound insulting. I'm not. I just... I just think it's going to take a very, very big headline. And I hope, Martin, you go ahead and prove me wrong because I'd be more than happy to be wrong on this one. But I just think we're going to have to hold out a little bit with the, especially with everything that's going on in the current climate, with boxing the way it is here and perceived here. It's um, it's just a little bit farther away yet. And that brings us all the way up to the important part. My guest this week is a fella who lit the amateur scene up when he boxed out at Clonnagall in Belfast. He's a light fly, super fly, whatever you want to call it. He's Connor Quinn is his name. He had a distinguished amateur career. He will tell you all about it here now. So I don't want to preempt or incur too much on it. What struck me was, it's very rare you see a fighter or a boxer or boxing make waves in the media, sports media. Generally, it needs to be something pretty special. Mark Dunlop's involvement, of course, straight away brings currency to it brings a respect that not many if any others carry on the island and abroad so when I saw the fuss been made about Connor, I wasn't sure didn't know anything about it I had a look did a little bit of digging reached out got in touch and I don't want to say too much before you listen to him but what I will say is there's a calmness a certain assuredness a steely resolve a, um, a focus determination and a, a belief that goes beyond talk goes beyond words the night I spoke to him he was due to be in Belgium fighting it didn't happen it didn't bother him in the slightest not in the slightest I think from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and from all the interactions I've had with him I think we're looking at something very very special here 
And I know you're probably going to say, oh, you say that about this person, that about this person, and this about that person. Maybe, maybe. But this is a special fighter. He's got a special... Just got that something about him. What I can tell you is that there's people who have a lot more experience and knowledge of this sport than me, and most are excited by this fella. That's enough for me. His feet had barely touched the ground. The ink was barely dry in his contract with Mark Dunlop. He was probably still jet-lagged. When I reached out, got in touch, straight away, yep, no problem, what can we do, when can we do it? And we did this on the Saturday night he was due to fight in Belgium, as I said. It's a real joy and a privilege to welcome Connor to the podcast for the first time. Definitely the first of many. Connor, how are you keeping, my friend? Uh, I'm not too bad, mate. How are you getting on? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm covered in paint and I'm covered in all sorts, but I'm, I'm, it's six days out from Christmas and um, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to it now. It's, it's a good time of the year, isn't it? Yeah, it's a brilliant time of the year, mate. Like I, like I was saying there, though, it's just creeped up on me. Like, you know, since we've got home, the past two weeks have just swung by, you know, and then it's Christmas next week, but hopefully I get a few days off now just to get ready for it you know watch some of the highlights and the footage of course of Super Foley during the week and he lit the place up maybe he, he overshadowed the main event a little bit it's not that long ago I suppose you were on that scene and you were looking that was the future but was it completely COVID, mm-hmm. COVID related or was it all were you always planning on coming home when I went out there um, me and my girlfriend both went out with the mindset of if it's going well we're staying you know we were never planning on going out for one year two years and coming home like we were just going out and taking every day as it comes and when I first got there, mate, it was absolutely flying. Like, um, my manager at the time, Steve Deller, and my coach, Luke Meldon, they really, really looked after me, you know, and they were getting me all the right fights that I wanted, and they were bringing me to Thailand and stuff. We had planned to go to the Philippines, and they were really giving me everything, you know. But once the COVID came, the um, the borders closed in Australia, and they were real, real strict on it. So Steve just wasn't able to get me any opponents, basically. He was getting me on all the shows at maybe five or six different dates, but... He couldn't actually get anyone flew in to Australia to fight me. So, made about six months went past, and I was being told it was fighting. And they they genuinely did think it was fighting. You know, they weren't lying to me. Like, and I was training flat out, and it ended up like a five month five month camp, and I never actually got a fight at the end of it. So, I just it sort of it started to get to me then, you know. And then the homesickness started to creep in, and I just I stopped enjoying my time over there once the boxing slowed down, you know. Yeah, I, I mentioned an interview with Conor Slater last night of Slater Sports Consultants, and as I said to him, I said mm-hmm. boxers are fantastic. In, uh, look, I'm biased, so I'm always going to say you're not perfect, but you're you're a different caliber of of um, sports person. But yeah. you're a different you're you're a total different animal again when there's a date hung in front of you. For yeah. you having having had five months of graft and nothing really on the horizon, it it must have been pretty bleak at that stage. When I get told I'm fighting or I have a fight coming up for six weeks, I'll do nothing other than train. So. Like, we would have wanted to go away and do certain things at the weekend or go to this beach or that beach and just chill out. Like, we don't do much anyway, but when I'm told I'm fighting, I, I wouldn't even do anything like that. You know, I would just go to the gym, come home, go back to the gym, go to sleep, wake up the next day. So, for five months, it was real, real, like, hard work. You know, I wasn't living this glorious lifestyle in Australia of going to training and coming home and going to the beach or whatever. So, I just felt like I was sort of, like... I was getting down about it, but it was also a lot of the things that my girlfriend wanted to do, she wasn't able to do because she also thought that I was fighting. So when there was no fight coming off at the end of it, it, it was really, it was really getting to me, you know, like back here at home, obviously fights fall through. That's just the way boxing is. But 
before at home and I'm in training or whatever, my girlfriend's with her friends and family, you no, know, she has other people around her. So when it was just me and her there and I was constantly training and I wasn't getting nothing out of it, I just started to throw the hell up a bit then. And like he says, mate, we're different, different people when we have dates coming up. So the last maybe two months of Australia, I knew I was coming home and I actually enjoyed my time so much more then because I was still training every day, but I knew that I could go and do things at the weekend or I could go and take these wee day trips or whatever, you know. So once, like you say, once the empty for falling through all the time, there's only so much that a fighter can take, you know. And it's important at this point of the interview is to give the lady a name check if you want because uh, she, she's a big part of your life. She's a big part of your career. Uh, yes, yes. Well, um, Jessica, we'll, we'll call her Jessica from now on then. Well, Jessica, <laughs> a big shout out to you from here because uh, I know I know what these guys are like and these girls are like. They're, they're different or special <laughs> in most ways, but uh, it, it's the other half that gets to see how just uh, how unspecial they can be at times as well so, <laughs> especially when fight week and weight making so a special mention to the, to the lady herself as well yes but, that's right uh, I love that <laughs> we, we can look pro career for, and, and all that's going to come Connor in a few minutes but I, what I like to do mm-hmm. is I suppose for the listeners as, as, is paint a little bit of a picture and uh, you're, you yeah. are of course from that boxing stronghold of Belfast it's no secret it's a place close to my own heart it's got a phenomenal boxing background uh, it's a mm-hmm. special place and I suppose there's so many clubs and names and everything else was it always going to be uh, boxing for Conor Quinn as he was coming through as he was growing up in the, in Belfast? Yeah, well, mate, um, well, actually, I've been boxing from I was six years old in Clonard Boxing Club. You know, I was at that club my whole life, and still, obviously, Peter Graham's still very heavily involved with me. But I was actually five years old when I tried to join the boxing club, and um, I remember my dad took me over and. They, they said I was too young I had to come back when I was seven and I remember going home and going up to my room and crying and my, my dad was asking me do I want to do karate or something like that you know and I knew even then I knew I said no no I just want to box so I think I left it a few months and I went back when I was six told them I was seven or whatever and from then on man, it was it was always going to be boxing like you know Peter Graham and Clannard Clannard is a club whatever way you want to pronounce it I, my Kildare pronunciation would be a little bit out but work with me on that <laughs> but there, I, I suppose in terms of clubs and everything else they'd be one of the new, younger ones and, and, and saying that they're probably they're almost about 20 years old phenomenal mm-hmm. over overhaul there the last few years brand new facility state of the art um, that's right and, and anyone that's scratching their head here at the moment thinking Clannard where do I know that name it is of course the home club of the of the, of the one and only Michael Conlon that's where he yeah. came through his, his club boxing and um, for you, I suppose, as a young Conor Quinn, you're, you're what, is he about seven years on you? In and around there, he would be, yes. Eight years on you? We're, we're, we won't give away the numbers, but roughly, uh, uh, I know if he's mm. listening, he'll have a bit of a, a cheeky grin on his post. For you, Conor, coming through, and, and um, it was a natural, I think it's fair to say, it was it was clear from the early days, you, you had an early, you had a flair for it. Once, mm-hmm. I'm always reluctant to say a natural talent, because it can be perceived as you didn't have to work too hard but you definitely had a yeah. flair and you had a gift and a talent uh, was that mm-hmm. how early or how soon did that become apparent to you that it was something a little bit more than just just a pastime very very early on then my coach Paddy Graham Sr so that's Peter's father and um, he I remember when I was a kid he was just always saying to me maybe when I was like seven or eight or even when I was six you know because I was so young probably in the club sparring every night and loving it he, he would have said to me like Oh, uh, like you'll you'll definitely be Irish champion one day and all, and and the amateurs obviously he was talking about. And I remember even back then thinking to myself, like, is is he being serious here? Like, could I be all Ireland champion or whatever? And then as the years went on, once it was maybe about eleven, twelve, thirteen, when he started winning the All Irelands and stuff, 
then he would have been telling me like if you keep your head down and you keep going you'll be world champion one day so from a very very early age he's always been telling me like there's a future in the sport if I keep my head down and keep working hard and keep the right people around me and he's always been around me and always will be around me like just like Peter and stuff as well you know but like I know a lot of a lot of people would say to kids and stuff oh obviously like boxing like you would hear a lot of times they're being told like there's no money in boxing or it's not a career or whatever whereas I, I was never told that you know I was always told that I'm going to be a world champion and I've got the talent there and give it everything so I'm very very grateful for that you know because people do get put down a lot when they say they want to be a professional boxer or a professional footballer or whatever they want to be and I never had any negativity around me everyone around me was telling me from I was very young that if I if I train hard and give it everything that it would go far. One of the reasons I'm reluctant to say natural or God-given is because it, it, it is always perceived by people who wouldn't be fanatical about boxing ah oh, well look he didn't have to work that hard it was just something he was good at there's nobody yeah. that gets to the levels that you guys even to win an Irish title and this I keep stressing this to win an Irish title alone at any level let alone senior mm-hmm. that most people at home w- would just w- wouldn't be wouldn't be able to even comprehend let alone to do so that then is. to ramp it up another level and take it to international take it to mm-hmm. uh, world, European world it, it goes into realms that, that again most people don't have any comprehension of so the sacrifices and everything else they're, they're running the mill for a while but then you hit those those teen years and those middle years that, 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 that are dangerous for young fighters was yeah. there any such danger of that with yourself were you lucky enough were you able to stay focused or were you like I suppose every every young sportsman you come to a point in your life where you want to start growing up and, and seeing what else is going on no well see to be honest mate um so my my friends like I've got a group of friends there and we've been all best friends from when we were maybe six or seven years old and we're, we're still best friends to this day you know we've just always come up together like even when we went to different schools and stuff in secondary school we were always still together outside of school you know and then it might have brilliant brilliant friends there like and even they would have told me when I was younger like when we were growing up like oh you're, you're gonna be this and that or you could be world champion or whatever and then See, when it came into that, their sort of age, maybe 16, 17, when people would be going out drinking and stuff, I'd have been going out with them, but I'd have never been drinking or anything. And even if I wanted to, they actually wouldn't have let me, you know, because I always hear about people saying about, like, the peer pressure and all, whereas they would have been the opposite, mate. If brilliant. I wanted, yeah, if, if they thought I was going to do something wrong or do something that was going to, they, they wouldn't have let me do it. Even nowadays, they still wouldn't let me do it. You know? One of the things that boils my frog, one of them, there's plenty of things boil my frog. <laughs> I've had different times, but... We call them sports stars or sports standout sports for fellas of, of young and age or non-drinkers mm-hmm. in general. They go out with a group of friends. They mightn't go out that often. And when they do, to a certain group of numb nuts, it's like a target. It's like, let's, who, yeah, let's see who can get right. him pissed first or see who can get him. And that really grates on me. It, it, for, maybe yeah. it's because, and it's not just because I've become passionate about what I'm doing here now. It's always been mm-hmm. something. It's, it's like if a fella doesn't want to drink or a girl doesn't want to drink, fucking leave them alone yeah you know I mean? that's Let, right exactly and I understand exactly. I, I wouldn't be the biggest drinker in the planet I like to drink at my own pace listen I, mm-hmm. I, I would be a marathon drinker rather than a sprinter I can keep going I can get me I can hold me on but I don't want someone putting a timer in front of me right now so it's important yeah. that's that's a key part mm-hmm. as opposed to you coming through yeah. another key exactly. part another so all those little key ingredients are there from the day from day one that's right admit it is and I even even my friends I'm talking about they're like they all also would have a boxing or, or doing like Muay Thai or MMA like I remember when I think I was 14 so there would have been maybe a group of 10 of us are all good friends and we're all boxing in different gyms but I remember three of us actually won the All-Irelands in the same day 
but we're in different boxing gyms, but we were best friends. Out, so we would have went, we would have been driving up from Dublin in different cars and then going out and meeting each other on the road and just, you know, just chilling out with each other. We're only about 14, 15, but three of us had actually won the All Irelands in the one day. And then a couple of other friends are, and like one of them's Irish champion in Muay Thai, a couple of them are, are top level MMA fighters. So they're also, as dedicated to their sport as I am to mine, which w- was also a great help for me, you know, like, although we might have been going out and doing the same session or going to the same boxing gym, we were all real focused on training, you know, and that was, that was yeah. sort of our thing, like, you know. You're on a similar mindset, so you, you're, you're, um, exactly. you're looking for the same outlets, you're looking for, when you're out of the sport, you're out and you're doing your thing, but you're not, you're still within the parameters and the boundaries of it, and you understand each other. It was perfect for me. Like like you said there about the celebrations and stuff, so I would have been fighting one day and then the next day someone else is fighting the next so you're never even like taking the time off to go and do the celebrations, you know, because you're just going to support your friend then. Like one of my um my professional second professional fight was in Thailand and then my other friend, Garrett Smiley, he was actually fighting in Thailand the same day when he in Muay Thai, you know. So it's class, like, you know, there's a real good like you're saying there, like everyone has the same sort of mindset, and it pushes me on big time. Look, it's a it's a special time for a very special city. It's vibrant. It has a, there's a special buzz around it, and I, and yeah. I say this all the time. So yeah, be conscious of what's going on, but don't live it there. Don't be don't be focused That's too right. much on it. Look at the likes of yourself. Look at the likes of Mick, Carl Frampton. Mm-hmm. Look at Liam McCourt. Look at Norman Parks. Look at Gar. Look at people like that that are flying a flag for the new Belfast. And 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 don't That's be right. obsessed with what's going on because. It's very easy, and a lot of the time, it's by people who fucking outside of Belfast. It's a lot. It's not so because you guys rarely ever talk about it. It's not one hundred percent, mate. That's it. Like anytime you you're hearing things like that being spoken, it's like you said, people from outside of Belfast. You know, like even when I was in Australia and all, people were asking me about Belfast and the the sort of perception they had on the place. And I was going, he's like, I've lived there for twenty two years. That's that's not Belfast, <laughs> like you know. Coming uh, through definitely. by one, by two, by three, the, the the goal, I suppose, building up to that would have always been to win that fantastic All-Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. What's it like? Can you take us, or can you remember the moment when you actually, when you win that first one? And then when you win them afterwards, is there, like, is there any difference? Is it winning them any time? Is it is an amazing achievement? Or, or what way are they for you, for, for the fighter himself? Well, I'd say the first one, for me, probably would have been just unbelievable, you know, like, I would always have been told about winning the All-Irelands, winning the All-Irelands, you know, like, Peter, Paddy Graham, like, that was all they would have spoke about to me was the All-Irelands, obviously, you had competitions in the round of the year, but everything was aiming towards the Irish Championships, even if you had lost one of your fights, the advice you would have got was, uh, it doesn't matter, just keep preparing for the All-Irelands, you know, like, if you lost in the Ulsters or whatever, so... I'd say winning the first one made it felt like a world title. It was just unbelievable. And then, like a week later, you're getting a phone call to say you're going to the Europeans or you're going to box for Ireland. So it was just like it was a surreal feeling, you know. And you just couldn't wait to get that Irish fest and get going and get started. And then I think once I won the first one, then it was like when you were winning it then every year after it was more relief you know like because you were maybe expected to win it then or not even expected but in your own head you were expecting to win it because you'd won it before and you'd been on the Irish team you'd been training all year and you were going I don't want to be one of the the few fellas that doesn't be here next year you know because you would have been in squad training or whatever and the next year would have been a couple of different faces and some of the people you would have been friends with wouldn't have been there anymore so I'd say that the the first one was an unbelievable feeling and maybe the other ones that were following it was just a big big sigh of relief you know just reassurance that you're still 
the best in Ireland or whatever and that you're still going to be on the Irish team and your dream's still alive then, you know. When we're looking at the elite side of it and we're being honest about sport and saying you're coming through a club, you're you're progressing at a rate of knots, you're bringing pressures coming with it, I guess, as you win titles, mm-hmm. you're representing mm-hmm. what Ireland. What, what What's the step up like then when you make into the, the international scene? You just have to step up. That's, that's it, basically. You know, it's either sink or swim and that's what I can say is like obviously you win one Irish title but then that's when you need to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep progressing and then these guys beside you are doing the exact same thing as you you know and I love as well when like you go to the international competitions and you look around and there might be 64 countries in the world championships or whatever and you're just a number you know like Mm -hmm. you so like you like I might go into the all-island championships and in my head I know I'm going to win this or I'm the number one seed or number one pick and then you're the best in the country and then you go away and you're just a nobody again you know that, that that's the beauty of it for me like and, and then to go on camps in the likes of of the eastern blocks and that that must have been an experience for for a young man as well coming along oh man it is like like you said there like i even remember when i was maybe 12 13 going away to these international competitions and we're, we were i'm i was a child you know like i was i was a kid and everyone else in the irish team was a kid but See when you were seeing some of these Russians or Georgians or Ukrainians or whatever, they were like men, you know. And I remember you were just looking at them, going like, "Jesus, like, what are they doing differently over here?" And you would have gotten into the ring, you probably could have beat them nine times out of ten. But just that experience alone of seeing like how strong these kids were and how much more developed they might have been, and you know, like, but like you said yourself, there a bit just getting out of Ireland it is is very very hard. Like I know plenty of boxers that have never won an Irish title but you could put them in with a world champion and they wouldn't look out of place you know that's just yeah, how, how yeah. competitive it is in Ireland it might not be right on the money for flyweights but I think I've spoken to Evan Metcalf I've spoken to Tommy McCarty I've spoken to mm-hmm. um, speaking to yourself now I haven't spoken to Brendy yet but names like Brendy Irvine people like um, Adam Hessian people like Regan Buckley I've had him on a few times so it, it's a pretty hot it's a pretty hot division here in Ireland but you if we're being honest and we're being fair about it, you were highly considered. You were highly ranked. You were you were when you when you hit your peak, you were one of the top, if not the top, in the country. But to get yeah. there, there's another name that's synonymous with Irish boxing, and he's synonymous with flyweight too, and he's synonymous with Belfast. So he's coming through, and he's around about the same. You're the new kid on the block, and of course I'm talking about Paddy Barnes. So you're coming that's into true. that division. For yeah. you as that young hungry buck coming in. And, and that narky old man that's at top of the pile and he, he's everybody's friend our competition but he's nobody's fool and he held on to that with, like, a, like a rat with a spud as I like to say for so long and he represented <laughs> for so long but for you that's to come it. through was it daunting or was it a target was it I'm going to do this or was it Jesus how am I going to do this or, or what, what's the approach like when you're, when you're actually coming from that bottom step well see, to be honest mate I didn't really notice the step up um, because what when I was stepping up my first year as an elite, I was maybe eighteen or nine, eighteen. I think it might have been, but the main man at the time was Brandy, and I've known Brandy for a very long time. And Brandy's not that old, although although he's been around. Because I think when Brandy was boxing, you could be an elite boxer from you were seventeen. So although he's been there like five or six years and won everything there is to win, basically he was the main man at my division. So I didn't notice the step up too much because so Paddy, Paddy was gone at that stage Paddy was a pro Paddy, 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 was, Paddy was just gone I Paddy was literally just gone pro yep. and Brandy was Brandy was the main man so 
for me looking it wasn't looking at this like this man or like sort of like you like you said they're like Eric Donovan and like David Oliver Joyce and all when they were all knocking about like they were old enough, you know. It was when I was looking it was only it was Brandy. So although he was a very, very talented fighter, yeah. he it wasn't like boy versus man in my head. It was just me versus him, you know. So, so no less for, th- no less formidable an opponent, an absolute world class opponent. But exactly, y- y- you knew him well, so you were you were on a par with him in your eyes. So it was more, yep, it was one hundred percent. Like, and I knew, like, it wasn't even like I know in the 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 bigger divisions, like so, like your welterweights or your middleweights or something. Maybe an eighteen year old kid getting in against the likes of like a twenty six year old, twenty seven year old, fully developed man, and the, the power and stuff can be the difference. That like, you can be a better boxer, but their strength might just be too much. Whereas I knew getting in the ring with the super flyweights at the time that I was I, I personally thought I was stronger than them so I, I, it wasn't like oh geez I'm stepping up to, to the men here it was just another competition for me I'm going in the win from your point of view it's just another fight it's you get somebody standing in the way of how to get there but yeah. how does how different how much different does it become when when he's a fella that you've, you've grown up alongside and you know him inside out and he knows you inside out it actually wasn't too bad because you know yourself. Every every fighter in Ireland knows each other anyway, you know. So <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but it was. Um, it's more when you're in Dublin and stuff, and like you're on the same teams or whatever. I I would say you would probably notice it more. If, like I was never so I fought Brandy in the Ulster Championships, but then in Dublin we never fought each other. So he had a few injuries the first couple of years when I was when I was on the Irish team, and then. I injured my hand, so we were never actually sitting in Dublin, knowing that we were going to fight each other in a few weeks' time. Whereas a lot of fighters go down, like like said, like Kieran Malloy and Ian Walsh, like they'll be sitting in training, both training for the number one spot, knowing that in six months' time they'll be fighting each other in the Irish League Championship. So I, we we were we were actually pretty okay because there was none of that. You know, there was never any like animosity or whatever because any time that we were actually set to fight each other, you were training in your own clubs. So we weren't seeing each other. Every time I speak to yourself, the, the lads from Belfast, invariably that dreaded drive from Belfast to Dublin comes up. It gets it gets tough. Mm-hmm. It gets tougher than any fight. It, gets, it is the fight sometimes, isn't it? It was the fight for me. And I was actually speaking about this the other day with someone and I was saying that when I was actually finally getting away to the tournaments, like obviously you're training hard or whatever, by the time I was actually getting away to the tournaments, I was sort of already finished in my own head, you know, like I, I just had enough, like, so you'd have been training for maybe six weeks, seven weeks in Dublin, Tuesday to Friday, and then by the time you were actually flying out to these countries or whatever, I just wanted to go home. I was actually looking forward to the end date, instead of thinking, right, I'm boxing on Tuesday, boxing on Wednesday, I was just thinking, next Monday I'm going home sort of thing, you know, and it became it became very hard for me. I, I genuinely didn't enjoy Dublin whatsoever on, on the elite stage, and, and one of the main reasons... And I'd say a lot of the Belfast lads were like this, that I was actually seeing it through was because you had John Conlon there. Yes. And John Conlon, John Conlon really looks out for you, you know. And shout like, out, and a special shout out to Johnny Bravo, as, as James McGivern calls him, because uh, <laughs> he said that himself. He said that the toughest and the darkest and the bleakest of days, he says, were, were, mm-hmm. were lifted and brightened. That man's reputation goes ahead of him. It doesn't follow him. It goes ahead of him around the world. He yep, goes far. That's and, right. Yep. And I know some of the stuff that he does in the background for fighters that goes way mm-hmm. beyond boxing and mm-hmm. coaching and everything else. He's, Sorry, he's, a, he's a special man. He's a special character. It's Christmas. There's drink. There's food. There's everything everywhere. How, how tough is that for a fighter? Oh, man. Like you say, Zara, like they've been training so hard. Like Obviously, I, I can't speak from experience because it's a strange time of the year, but um, they've been training so hard and then 
there's nothing come off, you know, and now the elites or whatever have been put back. And like you said, they've got four weeks here now of like food, drink, whatever, family time. And although you would love to just switch off and spend time with the family, you, you, they don't know what's coming up here, you know, like they may just get a phone call, oh, you have to be ready in two weeks, you have to be ready in three weeks. So it's very, it's, it's very, very challenging. You just, you literally just can't switch off whatsoever, you know, and that's the way it was when you were in Dublin as well. Like that was the one of the things that, I really, really liked about John was if you'd have seen John in the hotel, he'd have spoke to you about everyday life. Whereas if you'd have seen some of the other coaches that have been starting shadow boxing, showing you something again, and you're thinking like, I've just done two hours of training or whatever, you know? So it's just, you just need to learn when to switch off. And I'd say that would be the struggle for, for them fighters on the Irish team and stuff now. And the other fighters hoping to fight in the elites that aren't on the team it would just be switching off over Christmas would be hard you don't have those concerns those guys are home now for a few weeks by and large as well we don't want to, we can't be telling stories I know I know the majority but there is a little bit of it there is a little bit of time isn't there for they're just going to be able to take the brakes off and let let it go oh. for a day or two oh well I would like to think so mate I know for a fact that I would be anyway like the you know like like you said there you just have to learn when to switch off and Christmas is Christmas all around the world, you know. It's one of the only times of the year where I believe you should be entitled to a few days off, you know. Mm-hmm. So I know there will be some fighters out there that won't take a couple of days off, but I also know that there will be a few that will. Yeah. Be it, so. <laughs> I know one or two that won't be actually won't even think about boxing yeah. or wait for the next few. They go back a fl- they go away a, a light fly and they come back as a middle, so you, you don't know. Where they're, <laughs> but uh, no names mentioned. But of course, I'm saying a tongue in cheek. There, the majority of them, it's a way of life. It goes. F- I suppose when we're looking at the tl- the time you switched over and you moved, you were you were the top. If you, you it was between yourself and Brendy, and that was going to be a, that was going to be a a, a a tough one for someone to make, a, a tough decision. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have the habit of making those mis- those those decisions easy in Ireland, and we have a habit of That's making right. it very hard on the people who count, which are the boxers. It tends invariably yeah. to get messy. Um, mm-hmm. you took you took that decision away. F- not saying that it wasn't any less tough that you were there, but it was a little bit. Uh, was yeah. was that a tough call for you to go or was it uh, were you looking at the bigger picture or, or how did you decide to go when you went so what actually happened mate was um, I broke my hand after the European unions and I didn't know for around seven weeks so I was still punching with a broken hand and I was going to the hospital and they were telling me there was nothing wrong and then it was about I think it was three weeks before the Irish elites in 2018 it would have been and that was obviously going to the side who was going to the Olympic qualifiers. Well, I, I thought it was going to, everyone else thought it was going to. And so I broke my hand and, um, I, I, I remember going over and I was speaking with John. I think it was maybe 10 days before. And I was actually going, we were going to enter, like I was going to try and enter because I had got the cortisone injection and I was just going to push through it because I knew it was a big elite. And then um, I went over, I went over and seen John and, we counted up like it, it had been so long, like so many weeks since it punched with my right hand. So we just decided that it wasn't realistic. So I didn't enter the elites, and then my hand felt like it was healing up for, I think it was the chemistry cup or whatever. And me and Brendy were both going, we were both going to go and box at the same weight. And a week before the chemistry cup, and um, my hand, well, I done some sparring or whatever. My hand went on me again, and then I went and I seen, and they said I had to actually get a surgery on it. There was three broken bones, and I had to get some screws or whatever. So that actually took me on past then what was going to be the selection process for the Olympic qualifiers. So in my head, I thought I, there was no chance I could go anyway. So 
then I just decided then that I wanted to turn professional, but I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to go away and you know, start start fresh, start from the bottom again. Because like over here, obviously, I, I'd, I'd won a lot of things in the amateurs and I was quite successful as an amateur, but I didn't want to carry that through the pro ranks. Mm. And you know, I wanted to start from the bottom and have to build my way up and have to prove myself again because in my opinion, it's a, a complete different sport. Yeah. So once then that I knew I wanted to go pro then I was speaking with Connor Wallace he's and um, he was out in the same gym that I ended up going to in Brisbane he was just letting me know how it was set up and it was a brilliant setup so I just decided I was going out there and packed my stuff and went out and then obviously the, the qualifiers were put well back until not that long ago but once I decided to turn professional there was there was no turning back you know I, I loved it from the get-go like just I just loved the bit of freedom you had, you know, like when you're down in Dublin, you're boxing on these teams, they want you to box a certain way, which is a brilliant way of amateur boxing and they're brilliant coaches, but it didn't suit me. I didn't feel, I didn't want to be told how to box. I just wanted to get in and box, you know. So when I turned pro and I was allowed to do my own thing again and you were there to start hurting people, you weren't trying to box and move or get a point and get away for the rest of the round. So once once I decided the turnover made it, it was just like a new light came and it was, I just loved it from, from the very, very start. And obviously, I still love it now, like, you know. When you had that initial injury and the setback, and of course, I know, and again, it's like when there's no date on the horizon, but for an injury, it's just, they're dark days for fighters as well, because it, it's a very simple world that boxers live in. And people, I keep saying this, people don't realize that it. it's eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, yeah. train. When, when the injury arrives and when the realization of speaking with John and everything else, is it a, a release for, for Conor Quinn at that stage that you're going to go? That you're, Is it the decision is made now? Or is it still, oh God, I was that close to it? Or, or, or what way did you approach it? What was the mindset like? So whenever I actually got the injury, um, John actually had me training full time in Jordanstown. So I was training with Damien Kennedy doing like the paddles and pads and stuff. And then Lorcan was is a, the Irish physio, but he's based in Jordanstown. So even when I knew I'd got the injury, we didn't know the extent of it. So for a load of months, I was still training, hoping it was going to get better. And then even then, once we knew I was getting a surgery, I still didn't know that I was going to Australia. It was very, very last minute that I'd actually decided, listen, I'm going to go here. So there was never actually, like I'd say, I got a surgery done in my hand and took maybe three days off and then was straight back into training. So there was never actually any like downtime or anything or any release like you're saying there and it probably would have been better for me if I had just took a few weeks off and you know just let like just let my body recover but once I got out once I knew that I was going to Australia and and me and Jessica went over like it, it was like a just like a fresh page you know because boxing then became to me like like you were saying there like a chore or whatever because I was going to the gym twice a day but only using one hand so I was just going over and jabbing or throwing a few left hooks or double jabs if I was lucky you know and then it just became the same thing every day every day and there was no date nothing to train towards and then I think it was 12 weeks post-surgery that I actually arrived in Australia and that's when I was allowed to start punching again so my first actual punching session in like six months was in the gym I went to in Australia and then I fought six weeks later so from that third day everything just took off then and it was back to normal you know yeah so i i know um i've spoken to the likes of tony brown and a few that have turned pro since from from that from that program i suppose from that cycle that you'd say and mm-hmm. many, some go into it with um some go into it with a bit of intrepidation some go maybe earlier than they had planned but with you it was a case of it was everything kind of come, came together and the decision was made <laughs> 
that that meeting with John, that sit down where you make the decision and you tell him what you're after deciding, or, or or the rest of the coaches, because I know, I know some people leave under a cloud and they're like, it's it's yeah. almost a case of flipping the boards, not talking to no one. I'm doing what I'm doing, yeah. and I'm gone. But um, yeah. with yourself, it was was there was there a, a sit down or a phone call, and and here's what I'm mm-hmm. doing, and and how does that go? How how was that? Well. As soon as I knew that I was leaving, the first person I actually contacted, other than friends and family, like, well, not even, just family, really, and and a couple of best friends, the first person that I contacted was John Cullen. So I, I just gave him a phone call and says, listen, John, I've made a decision, and I've got a good offer here to come out to Australia and turn professional, and I'm going to I'm gonna take it. And he just wished me all the best. He says, he, he just says he, he's delighted that I was giving them opportunities. Like, that's what he's in the game for, you know? He's not there to... Get these medals for himself or whatever. He's just there to get. I knew exactly. I I knew that was going to be the. I knew because James McGivern told me he said one of the, if not the first call, if it wasn't him that helped him come to the decision, Mm -hmm. it was one of the first calls. He's he's a. Yeah, that's right. Do you know what it is? He's one of these coaches, and you and you don't come across him too often, as you said. A lot of the time with a coach, it's run faster because I said so, or run faster for me, or or box better for me. He wants you to do it for you, and and exactly that's what stands him out, and that's Mm -hmm. what hasn't. In, in your head right. so highly in your thoughts but that's um, right. it, it was uh, it was I suppose that first time when you get off the plane in Australia I remember it I went there in 99 and I can remember mm-hmm. it was like this little Irish fella arrives in the middle of us and, and you're standing there <laughs> looking around and the first thing hits you when the doors open is the heat how are those uh, you settling there's a pattern form in here with Conor Gwynn the grass doesn't grow under your feet so you get to Brisbane bang you're into the gym you're training a few weeks later mm-hmm. you're fighting the mm-hmm. decision is made to come home. You're back in Ireland. Decision is made to sign, <laughs> and you're almost fighting straight away. So, is that something you, you're you're a, a get up and go sort of fella? Is that the way you live? That's the way you work. Well, hundred percent, mate. I, like I says, like I just take every day as it comes, and then as soon as like as soon as we touched down in Australia, my first thought was right. When's the next opportunity to fight? And then. Um, the same thing again. My pro debut was supposed to be on like the tenth of December, and it fell through. Um, so I think I, I was there five weeks and I was fighting and the, the pro debut fell through and then I got a shoot, a slot on the Jeff Horn versus Michael Sarafa card, which was a big stadium fight in Brisbane on the, the Saturday after the next week. So once I got that opportunity, then I was buzzing again, you know, and then I just went in and got it done and then straight away the new year to start fighting again. And then like he says there, once we decided to come home, would have come straight home and signed up again. And was that in Bendingo? <laughs> What is it, sorry? Was that in Bendingo Stadium, was it? No, it was in um, the Brisbane Convention Centre, so it was their second fight, the one where Jeff Horn beat Zarafa, because Zarafa knocked him out the fight before or whatever, and then this was this was their second fight, so it was just in a big convention centre, just down the road from where, where we were living, so it, made a, it was absolutely brilliant, you know, it was, a, like I said, like a big stadium card, and, you know, like just sort of the things, like debuts, like the dreams are made of, you know, like so very very thankful for my team over there for putting that together and like I said the, the first one fell through so they done that on a week's notice and got me on the card and the card was stacked like so that you no know, they really looked after me out there like yeah it's it's um they're the good guys in Australia the good boxing guys are are are, are amongst the best you'll meet I've had Zarafa on here and a special shout out to him as well I've kept in touch with him and he's been in touch and there's been a couple yeah. of colourful messages back and forth because there's been a lot of um. I suppose there's a lot of hype right now around a certain fella who's had a famous daddy over the last few years and um, <laughs> he, he's beaten people that, look, 
he beat a Jeff Horn that was a shadow of his former self. We're talking, of course, to Tim Zoo, not to take anything mm-hmm. from him. He's a he's a he's a precocious talent. He's a, he's a scary talent. But yeah, I genuinely, without being any hate or anything else, and not being any, anything other than real, it's time to step to world level now because you're beating guys yeah. at a level where they're 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 standing in front of you. And Jeff Horn was there to hit. Jeff Horn a few yeah. years ago would never have been there to hit. You know, and That's true. um, I I I would like to see how he'd handle our own Dennis Hogan. Dennis is a good pal of mine, and and there's no way Dennis <laughs> is going to be there to hit. So yeah. um, a fight like that might suit both of them because I know himself and Wayne were were in camp lately for um. For, for the the fight in on Stevens's day, but it didn't come about. He's a he's he's in quarantine right now as well. So a special mention to Dennis uh, in <laughs> Australia. He did the quarantine for fourteen days, isn't it? Something like that when they go back. Yeah, yeah, fourteen days. Uh, but the scene over like... the scene over there is heating up. Steve Deller again is a name people might be familiar with. Dennis was he was one of Dennis Hogan's first managers when he arrived in Australia. So you were well looked after and you had a great team behind you. That makes it easier yeah. again, doesn't it? Oh, one hundred percent, mate. And like. From also from one of the, the first day I landed, I um, picked up a sponsor, Bobby Worman. He, he owns a company in Brisbane called Fastgaff, and mate, he he sponsored me from the very first day of, uh, that I turned pro, and he's actually still sponsoring me now. So he's going to be with me throughout the rest of my career. So when you're meeting people like that and stuff, mate, like you know, it makes everything worthwhile. You know, like if it wasn't for for the likes of him, I would be able to box full time. So. Like like you said, there's you meet some real good people in boxing in Australia, and, and the good ones are good. Like you know, it makes your job. It doesn't make it easy, but it takes away some of that pressure and some oh, of that hassle, doesn't it? One hundred percent, mate. Like genuinely, if it wasn't for Bobby, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you because even when I was out in Australia and I knew I was coming home, I couldn't just get up and go there and then. You know, so I had a couple of other sponsors which were on board in Australia, but I. I wanted. I, I wouldn't like to be taking money off people, or you know, like taking the hand off them when I know I'm coming home and I know I'm not fighting. So for about three months out there, maybe I knew I was coming home, and I'd actually contacted all the sponsors and told them to stop the sponsorship or whatever because I was changing my plans. But Bobby stuck by me. For, like even when I told him that, he he actually says to me that he wanted to stay on board, and he also knew that the other sponsors had pulled out. So. He was give. He was actually given more than he should have as well. You know, like mm-hmm. so, just wee small things like that. Me, like, like I have big plans in boxing. Like in my in my brain, I'm definitely going to become a world champion. But to get there, you need these we these people beside you. You know, like these people helping you on them tough times like that. If, if it wasn't for Bobby, like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get there. You. Know? I want to tread carefully here because I don't know what can or can't be said, but when you're mm-hmm. coming home and you know you're coming home, you're, are you then working towards putting the building blocks in place to a pro career when you come here? Mm-hmm. Or is it a case of it kind of happens as you go along as well? I, I'm, I'm guessing not too much is left to chance in Conor, Conor Quinn's career and, and his boxing. No. It's, it's no, very no, much so a plotted course, isn't it? Yes, like once once I knew I was definitely coming home, because I don't want to waste anyone's time either, you know. Yeah. So once I knew I was definitely coming home, and I had told my team in Australia, gave them their place and told them that I was decided to come home and spoke to them about it. From that second then, it's all about what am I going to do once I am home, you know? So in my, I, I knew myself, like I, Mark Dunlap is, in my opinion, the best manager in Ireland and um, very easily could be the best manager in the world. It's just I can't comment on that. I, I obviously only know my own place, you know? But so... In my in my brain, that's exactly who I wanted to go with. But I contacted Peter Graham, um, and I says to Peter that I was coming home, and I just asked him what he thought. And the first person he said as well was Mark Dunlap. So Peter got in contact with Mark, and then Mark gave me a call, and 
we just spoke it over, mate. And I remember the day I, I was talking to him. Like I said, there was a couple of months before I left Australia, but there and then I just wanted to go to sleep and wake up in Belfast and get yeah. started. You know, like it was just a, it was a complete different world. Like like I said, I had a brilliant team in Australia, mate. But that marks different level. Like yeah, I'm listening to you. Right. It's like listening to Eric. It's like listening to Tommy. It's like mm-hmm. listening to Tenny. Mm-hmm. You're obsessed with it. It's there's nothing mm-hmm. left to chance. And now yep. throw in on top of that, you're teaming up, of course, with the Walsh, who for me is one of the best young coaches in the game mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, definitely, mate. Like it's a sign of a great manager is when he has to face the adversity and he's faced it and overcame it many, many a time. You know, as Mark tells me, and as Mark tells anyone that 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 are lucky enough to speak with him and the fighters, they I can get you the fights, but it's up to you to go win them. And that in its right, that to me is like a it should be an it should be like a it should be just the, the the only line a fighter needs, shouldn't it? One hundred percent, mate. That's exactly it. Like that's what I've been saying all along. Like all I want from a manager is to deliver the opportunities, and I've seen firsthand that Mark can do that. And then that's up to me to go out and perform and win. And that's where you have D Walsh, Peter Graham, and then my strength and conditioning coach Sean Crow. Like, mate, I genuinely believe, hands on heart, now that I've got the best team around me that I could ever have. So. In my in my head, the only person that can stop me becoming world champion is me, and I'm definitely not going to do that. You know. Yeah. No. I, I can. You know what, Connor? And I don't bullshit. And I don't. And I, and you you might you've listened to one or two of the episodes. You know how it goes. You know. I, I pride myself on. I, I don't like clickbait. I don't like blowing bubbles. I don't like anything. There's an air about you, mate. There's a. It's a confidence. It's um. It's um. You're more comfortable in your skin than than many that you speak with, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a time of a career where. There's a lot of uncertainties for a lot of people. In your mind, there's no uncertainties. You're very much driven. And that was born true by the fact that you were you you really could and should be fighting right about now in Belgium. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about that before I let you go. That was something it, it was it was through no fault on this side. It was I understand it was logistics no. and everything else, but that's yeah. a case of how close and ready you're ready to hit the ground running, aren't you? Oh, one hundred percent. And um Mark when we done that little press conference just announcing that there was signing with Mark and stuff, he said to me that night, he said, listen, there's a fight here in Belgium on the 19th. Do you want it? And I mean, that was just music in my ears. You know, I, I could have never imagined that. I don't think any other manager in the world would have been able to get me a fight that quick. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like you said, it's fell through, but that's not down to Mark. It's not down to me. That's just the things that's going on in the world at the moment. But the fact that he could get me that opportunity and the fact that Dee and Sean and Peter had me ready for it as well you know it just shows like uh, like anything that comes my way now I'll definitely be taking it with both hands and it's a division that's um that's not it's not flyweight that you're going to operate at flyweight is it yeah yeah flyweight super yeah. fly in between both yeah so there's not mass like I won't say there's massive a lot of the names you're going to meet are going to be fellas from Bangkok Th- Thailand they're going to be uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, the likes of Chocolatito and those lads who are don't get me wrong these guys are they're they're tough customers, but mm-hmm. for you at Flyweight, you're 22. Um, is without giving away too many trade secrets, I know there's always making the weight as a job for anybody. But I mm-hmm. suppose is how comfortable are you at Flyweight, and is it something that you're that you're that you're you're happy enough? You reckon you're going to be there for a while? Yeah, no, made very very comfortable. Like like I says, um, I don't. I made my life is just genuinely boxing. So even when I'm out of camp, I would be walking around. 54, 55 kilos. Like, I think I got weighed the other day with D for the first time in a load of months because obviously I wasn't fighting in Australia the last load of months and I was 55 and a half kilos. And that was the first session that I'd done. And 
that's when we decided then it says like definitely be fighting the flyweight for a couple of years no problem you know like in the amateurs I was fighting 52 I think flyweight's just under 51 but you were making 52 and then fighting a couple of hours later and then making it again the next day so I think with the 24 hour weigh in and doing it properly I've never done it properly in my life you know I've always just been eating good and training hard but I've never actually had someone on board to come and tell me why I should be eating this food and what times etc you know so I think now once I start doing it properly and I start doing it like a professional I'll make flyweight for a couple of years anyway until they become world champion in flyweight and then obviously I would want to go on and go on and win it in different divisions then you know and you will, Matt. You will. I, I can hear it. I can hear it in your. I, I'm actually. I'm smiling there as you're saying that. You're. You're a man <laughs> on a mission, and uh, there's nobody. There's nobody going to be. Uh, I, I, there's be only going to be foolish people stepping in front of you to try and tell you or stop you from doing what you're doing. And you know something, Matt. Right. It's an absolute. I, I. I look for from the minute I saw your profile and the minute I saw you speak and the minute I saw everything. I said, I gotta get to talk to this fella. And from that day to this, <laughs> I've looked forward to it. And I can honestly say to you, it's been a privilege. It's been a joy. I really look forward to it. On, a, on a cold, bloody wet. Uh, Saturday night just before Christmas. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I suppose just for those that are that are listening and for those that are going to be watching over the next few weeks, trust me when I say this: there is no better manager in the game than to move a fellow when he's ready to move. And and you watch this mm-hmm. fellow go. Mark Dunlop will have you getting uh, watched. There's a show on Matchroom at the end of January, and I, I if I was a gambling man, I, I wouldn't bet against your name <laughs> popping up in it. But more immediately, I suppose. What what are the targets? Is it to get a couple of fights under your belt? Or, or, or what is your aim for the next few? I suppose if we look 12 months, 18 months. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, mate, that's that's exactly it. Just get a few fights under the belt and then just I'm just going to see what Mark brings. You know, like mate, it's the first time in my career where I haven't actually looked ahead because I've got that much trust in him. So I, I'll genuinely, whoever he puts in front of me, I'll fight. And wherever it is, I'll go. And whatever it's for, I'll take it. You know, like so in the terms of the next 12 to 18 months, I, 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 I honestly can't tell you what'll be coming my way, but I know it'll be very, very successful and everything that does come my way will be for a reason, you know, like Mark doesn't do nothing for nothing. So anything that he does get me will be for a certain reason and it's all towards the end goal. And the very last thing, have you carried over any rivalries or any, uh, any uh, beefs or anything from your amateur days? Is there anybody on the world scene or the European scene that you want to, uh, that you're looking forward to getting in with or is it just have gum shield will travel? Ah uh, no, well, there's there's no one on the scene yet because I'm so young. But just whoever's world champion, flyweight or superfly, I don't even know who the world champions are to be honest with you. But whoever whoever they are, that that's who I want to fight. So it's been an absolute joy. Leave the last word with yourself. Uh, give a shout out to anyone you think or you want to mention sponsors, people who was making who are a big part of the team. Yeah, I've just like I say, I'd love to give a shout out to Bobby Worman uh, from Fastgaff in Australia, long time sponsor. He's gonna be with me for a long, long time. And then just Peter Graham, Sean Crow, D. Walsh, Mark Dunlap, and just everyone else who's helped me along the way. But there's that many. I, I would be here for about six hours. So there's not much need for me to say anything. After listening to Connor, he's he's a he's a fellow who's in control of of everything he surveys. He strikes me as a fellow almost like a a warrior sat looking at a map scanning all before him controlling his destiny and just a little thing that sprung to my mind as I listened to it back as I was editing and, and as I spoke to him when I did have that amazing interview with D. Walsh back in the summer one of the things that he spoke about was his piecing together of a game plan fight plan and how he does it meticulously and how he starts from the very 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 jump looking at patterns 
something that strikes me about Conor Quinn. Pattern. He knows, he figures out what he's got to do, figures out where he's got to go to do it, how he has to do it, and he does it. What more pattern does a professional fighter need en route to being a world champion? Dip on over to his social media, like, follow, support, and watch out for the name. That's it from me and them until then. Feel a little bit of a, a gravelly throat coming on. I don't know, am I just tired? I don't know what it is. Stay safe over the next few days and weeks. And remember, as I said, one step at a time, one day at a time, together. And separate. All at one big, messed up, jumbled up time. That's what it is. But that's what we do. And that's how we've done it. So, be the tooth in the cog. And we'll turn the cog, which will turn the wheel. And we'll get there. Almost as one big voice. Well, that ends well.